You are listening to Right Off the Bus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Right Off the Bus. I'm Chandler Hutchison. That's Pat Mahoney. If I'm pointing the right way, if you're watching this on YouTube or checking it out somewhere else. But we got episode 15 coming to you guys. There's a lot going on, as always. Pat, we got the NCAA National Championship Games. We got baseball opening weekend. It's back. We got some UFC news we need to dive into. But first, Pat, happy Easter, man. You know, happy Easter. I hope you had a nice restful Sunday. I hope you got a lot of food, maybe a little bit of candy, had a couple beers. What, what do you have going on? Yeah, happy Easter to you, Chandler. Happy Easter to everyone who celebrates it that listens. I went to my girlfriend's grandparents for the Sunday. And it was a good time. And the best part about like going there, well, it's always a good time anyways, just talking with everyone, drinking beers, whatever. I I didn't have any IPAs, but the best (laughs) part is I always get leftovers when I go there to my girlfriend's Nana's house. And they're straight from England, but they moved here like 40 years ago. But they're like, you always think of like English food, you're not being great. Like they, I mean, she cooks normal food, but like best cook from England I've ever met. Not that I've met (laughs) any people straight from England other than her and uh her grandparents and like that side of the family but you know i'm i'm surrounded by the accents the thick accents i just i love them i fall in love with them the english family the leftovers are great i was enjoying them yesterday probably have a little more today then i'll be i'll be out but yeah it was a good time and i yeah i always love easter i I celebrate it with them now as opposed to my family because my family's kind of spread around my brothers are all over the place throughout new england my mom's up in new york so just uh it's a little different than it used to be when i was a kid but you know traditions change and it's just how it goes but uh, i'll uh i'll see them for other holidays and see them for other visits but what were you up to chandler before before that pat i got two questions man do i remember in college you used to come back with just massive things of tupperware from them is that yeah so you okay remember. that's where the leftovers <laughs> yeah, yeah. are coming from yeah. now i when you started saying it, some gears <laughs> yeah. started turning. I was like, this dude used to come over like four things of Tupperware, man. And that's that yeah, if you see me coming back me. with just bags of food, you know where I was. You know exactly where I was coming from. And then, Pat, my second question, man, you're a city fan, Man City. Is there any soccer affiliation with their family being from England? Well, yeah. So and that's funny because every time I'm over there, I have like a quick conversation with her granddad because he's a huge Tottenham fan. Uh... He's like, <laughs> I always try to like hype him up. I'm like, oh, they're right on the break. You know, I'm like, what place are they in? He's like fifth. And I'm like, like, oh, they're right there. Then they might make the Champions League. He's like, Tottenham suck. <laughs> it's so funny. And I was like, yeah, the Harry Kane's at like 19 goals now. He's like, yeah, that's all we got. He's like, we wasted all that money on Gareth Bale. Oh, he hates it. It's funny because he gets fired up. But I, I try to hype him up. But I, I don't think I've ever told him I'm a City fan because I think he'll just mm. be you will think of like a bandwagoner, which like to some degree I am, but like I was a fan, you know, at the beginning of the band. 12 years, Pat, you've been a fan, you know, it's how, yeah, exactly. You know, it was like 2011 when we got like David Silva and Yaya Torres. So it's not, I'm not a total bandwagoner. It's not like, you know, I became a fan in 2016, mm. but no, yeah, it, it's good though. He's a big Tottenham fan. So I, I have to root for Tottenham just for that. 
that's tough, man. Especially like you're trying to be positive about it. And he's like, oh, they suck. They're in fifth. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, you're, you're in Europe. You're fighting for, oh, Europa, he, yeah. you're fighting for Champions League. He cracks me up, though. That's so funny. Because, you know, <laughs> he thinks like with the people they have, they should be going for the title, which they realistically should be. But he's so... I, I can't get him started about Gareth Bale. He, he's so mad. Like I'm sure he used to love him back in the day. Right. Then once they get, he went to Real Madrid and then he went back to Tottenham. He's like, he is so lazy. It's just, it, it's, I don't know. It's a great He should time, just be though. mad at Jose Mourinho, man. He should just be mad yeah, at Jose. It's, maybe but... it's, I don't know. I, I don't know what the problem is. I doubt it's, I, I don't know. I don't think either of us have watched enough Tottenham, Pat. I don't know. Exactly. I can't even speak on it. But anyways, yeah, what did you do for Easter? Uh, you know, we, uh, I had uh, two of my brothers here with their girlfriends. Mine couldn't make it. She was working. I got a brother and his girlfriend are in Columbia. So we had uh, seven of us, which was, it was very nice, you know, had Easter dinner and I got, I got my dog Maya at home who's seven broken back. She didn't move too well, but we had two puppies over, man. We had my brother's dog, uh, Charlie. I got to say this too, man. I love my brother and his girlfriend, but they're such nerds, bro. They're both bio teachers. They are both science nerds. They named this dog Charlotte Darwin. That Darwin's its middle name. Oh, wow. They're, they're calling it Charlie. They named it after Charles Darwin, man. Like, you let two nerds meet each other freshman year at college, and this is what's going to happen. They get a dog named after Charles Darwin. Like, that is just, <laughs> that is wild to me. But then, then my other uh, brother, his girlfriend brought her dog Nova over. So we had a couple puppies running a man. We were eating, drinking. So no complaints, man. It was a good, happy Easter. Um, all was well. All was well over here, Pat. The, uh, the only other thing I'll dive into real quick before we get going is I just want to touch on uh, some of my running challenges, Pat. You know, I like to keep you and the listeners updated on what I'm going on. And I'm trying to get more comfortable telling people about it and posting about it and uh, be more comfortable sharing it. But my uh, my goal for March was 100 miles, man. And that was that was a grind. I hadn't done 100 miles in a month since last summer. And I ran all 31 days of March. We did over 100 miles. It was like 100.15 because I was just trying to inch over that line and not have to do any more than I had to do. But it was a good month, man. You know, I got some great weeks, dude. I've been running like 120 something days in a row outside now. So I've been grinding, man. But we got uh, we got yeah, some cool. Crazy. We got some cool running challenges coming up, Pat. And uh and who knows? Who knows? Maybe a listener out there will come run with me on one of these. But April did 11th. You, um, oh, and I, I was going to say, did you join uh, Joe Gizzy for any more runs? And are you <laughs> taking any challenges from his book? So I didn't join him on any runs after that uh, four by four by 48. But he's going to come do some of my runs with me in April. Now, I've never done an all day endurance challenge. And like, that's something I'm interested in doing. So I'm going to do a half marathon split up over a whole day. I'm going to do 13 individual miles, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. At the top of every hour, I'm going to run one mile. So I'm inviting anyone who's around, around Eastern Mass, anyone to come run with me, any of those miles, Sunday, April 25th, hit me up, man, because we're going to do 13 separate miles. I don't know how my body's going to hold up, man. I haven't done over five yeah. miles yet this year. So <laughs> my legs would start breaking down if I tried running at that pace. That would be that would be ridiculous. So the top of every hour you're going to try wow. running. Well, not try. You are going to do it. I know you, you follow through, but you're going <laughs> to do a mile. Yeah. One mile, you know, it's not less bad. than no. less than nine, 10 minutes every hour for 13 straight hours. And then the last one's going to be a little bit longer. Um, 
I'm gonna have someone toss me a beer a shotgun after I finish the last one because I gotta celebrate Joe Gizzy style. That's how he did it after his marathon. And then Pat, the other running challenge I'm gonna do this month, man. This one's gonna kill me next week. I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna do seven miles on Sunday, six on Monday, five on Tuesday, four on Wednesday, then back up five, six, seven to end the week. So it ends up being, I think, 40 miles, 41 miles. I don't know. I haven't done the math out, but it's a lot of running, man. And a kid I haven't yeah. talked to, shout out Troy Kent. I haven't talked to this kid since high school. I, we were friendly. We weren't even friends. He hit me up and said, I'm coming to run one of the seven miles with you. I'm like, let's get it, Troy. And this dude's a cross-country runner. This dude could blow the wheels off me in any any distance. I was like, you got to slow down for me, bro. Like, yeah, I'm not, I can't run like you, but he's going to come do that first seven-mile run with me, man. So I'm excited. So, hey, if anyone wants to come run April 25th all day, April 11th to 17th, you know, we got some long runs coming, Pat. So we're going to see how it goes. I'll keep the listeners updated, but well, I'm excited uh, to I'll share be there those, in spirit. Man. I'll be there in spirit rooting you on. So you're, you'll know you're I'll, gonna be, I'll be there in your head. You're going to be there shotgun and a beer in Chicopee for me. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'll, meet, yeah, I'll meet you there. <laughs> I'll meet you at the finish line. <laughs> but man, I'm excited to push myself. You know, I've never done an all day challenge. I've hiked 10 miles. I've ran a half marathon. You know, I've done all, I've done some things that take a while, but never done anything that takes 13 hours. That's a physical challenge. So I'm excited to see how it goes. I'm excited to see how my body breaks down and uh, see if I can push myself a little bit. Yeah, it's a good step. You're, you, you love getting excited for those things. You're breaking yourself down, challenging yourself. So I, yeah, I, I'll tune in. Uh, I'll tune in next week. I'll hear what your update <laughs> is we'll to save that for me. We're too comfortable, Pat. We're too comfortable with what we do every day, man. Got to get out of the AC and the heat sometimes, man. Got to got to get out. <laughs> got to get out and uh, push ourselves a little bit. But Pat, yeah, it's fair. enough about me. Like I said, I don't really like talking about myself all that much, but I'm trying to get better at it with all that you know, physical challenge stuff, but Pat, we're going to dive into some headlines, man. And I know there's some pretty good ones that you want to start off with, man. And I will say I was duped by one of these, so that's for sure. So if you want to dive into some of these April fool's headlines, man. Yeah. Well, so we, yeah, we had April fool's day and although we are past that at this point now, it's always a great day in sports and we just missed it last week. So I did want to cover it this week, but it's always a great day in sports. Like I love the sports center posts of just all the best pranks that they've done over the years. Uh, there's been a number of great ones. You see like Peyton Manning unscrewing the water bottle top, giving it to his teammate. Then he like tells the camera to look over there. The guy just dumps water all over himself. So it shows you like they're not just athletes. They're, you know, people too. So I, I always love to see it. But anyways, some of the best April Fool's headlines that I saw, I could be missing some. You can post at me if you want, if, if I do miss any, but Brady bringing back the Montreal Expos. That was the first one I saw. So that was actually a team that drafted him. But he posted that he was going to be bringing them back in 2022. I don't know if he was going to be like part owner or what the deal was. He was just helping to bring them back. And I don't really know how that would work with the league. Because what are there, 30 teams in the MLB? So there would be just a 30, an odd number, 31. So first of all, I feel like if you bring back one, you got to bring back two. Because that just wouldn't work for the the, – I almost just said the East and the West, the National League and the American League. But that was a good one. Um, Internet site said he missed the mark, but I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, There was like one they compared it to with another one. Bill Russell said he was making a comeback, and I (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. I'm not sure as many people really believed that one compared (laughs) to some of the other ones. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it wasn't believable. Like, it was just funny. But people actually believed Brady. Like, I know – 
Ariel Hawani was an Expos fan. And I know a lot of those Expos fans just became like Blue Jays fans by default. Mm. So they were probably kind of upset. But yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was funny. But then another good one uh, with the NFL, George Kittle. And he actually, you know, he posted it himself, posting himself in a Jaguars jersey. And then that he was going down to Jacksonville. He said, oh, thanks, you know, for all the love and support over the years to the Niners fans. And then he had like the Jaguars hashtag and he was all hyped up. And I think some people probably thought that was legit. I know you had seen it, but I was just, I would, I saw that one. And like, I was just like, I was like, this is too much George, man. Like, like you said, he posted like a super clean Jersey swap of him. Like with the it was sweaty hair clean. flipping, like with his number. And he's like, yeah, thanks San Fran hashtag Duval. Like that's Jacksonville's thing, like Duval. And he's posting. And I was like, I was like, no, no. And then, of course, I'm like, oh, it's April Fool's Day. This can't be real because well, if it doesn't come from Schefter, even if it's from the player, if it's not from Shefty, I don't yeah, buy it. <laughs> if no big news outlets are picking it up. And that's why I hate April Fool's Day because it's like there's some things that are true, like peppered in there. But most of it is just fake. And like I I'm not ready for that in my mindset. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm looking at my phone and I see George Kittle in a Jaguars jersey. I just assume it's real. I'm like, oh, my God, like the Jaguars are making moves like they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. They're getting George Kittle. I was like, this is crazy. No, and, nothing of the sort. And the thing with that, too, Pat, is not to get like too technical and too scientific. But when you wake up in the morning, the you shouldn't check your phone. We all do it. Right. But when you wake up, you are super relaxed. You are mellow. You are in a very calm and impressionable mind state just from everything going on while you sleep and regenerating and rejuvenating but then you wake up and you see something like that and it's like whoa it's like it just hits you like crazy man and it's that's why they say you shouldn't be on your phone right when you wake up i do it every morning i get up check twitter check instagram whatever but that's why that's why it gets you first in the morning you see kittle and your brain's more impressionable than it's going to be for the next 14 hours and it's like what that's crazy yeah. <laughs> and i was gonna say did you uh did you wake up in the morning and see this next one so the john jones and dana white <laughs> joking on Twitter that they got a fight deal done. They had dinner. And if you look, John Jones tweeted this at like 11 PM, which our time that's Eastern time. So it was like 11 Eastern time, I believe. And uh, they got that. They got a fight deal done in reality. They're not even close, but it was convincing in Chandler's defense because Dana White responded to Jones, which you wouldn't expect because they don't like each other. And Dana was like, oh, amazing night, brother, like that they actually had dinner and got like a good deal and good conversation done. Nope, not even close. So Chandler tweeted out from our uh, <laughs> from our podcast account. He's like, LFG, like, let's go. Like, he's all excited. And I texted this man and I was like, Chandler, I was like, no, it was, <laughs> was like it was an April Fool's joke because you look at John Jones feed and he's like after that, after the fact, he's like, oh, it's still 1142 here in Albuquerque. So April Fools. I'm sure he got most of the population because even like days later, I've been checking just through the comment sections out of curiosity and people are like, oh, like, let's go. That's awesome. Like, this is crazy. No. In reality, I looked at Ariel Hawani's Twitter, who I follow. He's like the best MMA journalist in the world. Maybe besides our boy, John Morgan. But the UFC is looking at Ngannou versus Derek Lewis. So Chandler was fooled. I'm not even going to (laughs) lie. I was fooled for a minute, but I, before, you know, making any rash decisions, like tweeting out, I I did a little research. I dug a little deeper 
and it just was not close. So that's that that's was, not as quick to the uh to the quote tweet Twitter fingers, man. I'm a, I'm a I'm skeptic. A, that's you yeah. know that's what I am. I'm a skeptic. That's, so. that's a bit more of a uh, more thorough uh, thorough journalist. Yeah, I mean, Pat, I, I'm just gonna say in my defense, like you said, it, in Albuquerque it was like 11:40. That's three hours different from us, right? So when I mm-hmm. wake up on April 2nd, I see John Jones tweeting that on April 2nd because that's what it is my time. And that's what it says for my time. And that's what got me. I shouldn't have believed it. I like I should have known that it wasn't real because Dana White was literally trash talking two days earlier. But the fact Dana White responded, man, that is what got me. Like, I was like, oh, John Jones is being funny. But then Dana White being like, amazing night, brother. I was like, let's go. The super yeah. fight. The best heavyweight fight ever. Oh, yeah, could have been. Now they're, you know, now in reality, they're not even close to getting it done. So great news. But... And Nganu's going to pick Lewis apart if that's a fight again. Yeah, Lewis. it won't go anything like the first fight. But yeah, a man. couple other little, uh, little April Fool's headlines. Michael Strahan, for some reason, thought it'd be funny just to – tell people he was filling his gap tooth which like i like the gap tooth honestly like it's it's a personality trait i think on some people like it looks pretty good i actually don't mind the gap tooth i would have been disappointed if he did fill it so i was happy (laughs) to find that that was not a reality and i did see actually dentist Uh, just uh dentist business was boosted after this i forget which one but there was like a specific (laughs) dentist like their business was like boosted after the whole michael strahan thing so well, Strahan is the gap tooth icon. Like, yeah, he if is. there's a famous person with it, that's who it is. Like, whenever we see him on TV, my dad has a little gap in his front teeth. And he's just, he's always like, he's always like, that's my guy, you know? Like, we represent, like, blah, blah, me, him, and SpongeBob, you know? We got the gap teeth, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's what he rocks with. But that, yeah, that was if- funny because it is iconic for Strahan, man. That's what you think of. Yeah, and if anyone's out there and you're insecure about your gap tooth, like you can look to guys like Michael Strahan. You're like, oh, this is okay. Like, this is cool. <laughs> and another guy, uh, Chappelle Lacey, is a comedian and a podcaster that I listen to as well. And he's got a gap tooth. And I was like, these guys should never fill that. I was like, it's cool, honestly. Like, hey, it, you know, some people it doesn't work, but I would never want you to feel insecure about it. I think it's a cool thing to have, honestly. It's unique. Shout out, shout out to all the people with a uh, gap in the front teeth, man. You can... You can set the record for sacks in a season for an NFL player, and you can host Good Morning America. So shout out to all the Gap Tooth people, man, on the way up. <laughs> yep. And speaking of hosting, we'll move on to some regular headlines as well, Chandler. So Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy for two weeks. Uh, he actually just started, I believe, last night. I believe the premiere was, or it could be tonight, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. I think it was I last, saw a clip it was last, last night. night. Yeah. yeah, so it did premiere last night. And from what I saw, I saw like a five-minute clip. He actually did a really good job. It seemed like he kind of was natural in it. I know he said he was preparing hard for it. Some people were joking, like he prepared harder for that than <laughs> actually his games. And they were like, oh, Brady owns you. Like all this, you know, just how Twitter gets. But I was uh it was cool to see I mean he he uh so he won Celebrity Jeopardy back in the day and then uh yeah he was a good host I I don't know he he was a good host I had nothing else to say about that yeah I I thought I thought he was too I like like with you I just saw some little clips and uh Rogers is a Jeopardy nerd like he watches it all the time he seemed Um, like it he just got engaged and I'm sorry I'm not gonna pretend to know her name but I saw Shalane Woodley 
Shalane Woodley. You. There you go. But I saw a clip with her when they got engaged and she was like, she was like, yeah, I didn't really know who he was like in terms of football. Like I just kind of met this like quirky guy that really likes Jeopardy and wanted to be Alex Trebek, you know? <laughs> so he's super into Jeopardy. But Pat, if you hadn't seen this clip yet, there was a guy that wrote in an answer and he said, what is, uh, should you have kicked a field goal or something mm-hmm. like, like, you know, along the lines of why did they kick the field goal in that championship game rather than let Aaron Rodgers go for the touchdown? You know, that Matt LaFleur play that everyone talked about for weeks. How do you not trust Aaron Rodgers? And the <laughs> contestant wrote in what is, should have kicked the field goal. And Rodgers just kind of looks down, laughs, and he goes, that is a good question, but unfortunately the incorrect answer. You know? Yeah, And so- I didn't know what the final Jeopardy question was, but <laughs> I, I did see that answer. And honestly, I was like, what is he talking about? I couldn't remember what he was talking about, but you just refreshed my memory. So thank you. But it's funny that Rogers openly on Jeopardy said, that's a great question being like, yes, why did my coach kick that field goal? Why did he not trust me to go win the mm-hmm. game? And I, I loved that from Rogers being like, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I should have, I should have been trusted to, uh, to take it in my own hands, but Hey, shout out Aaron Rodgers, man, two weeks of hosting Jeopardy. And, uh, I think it's going to be fun. And it's, it's kind of a nice new side to see of Aaron Rodgers, you know? Yeah, it was cool. Again, like not just as an athlete, it was cool to see him like in another, another round. Cause you don't see like athletes doing that much. I mean, you see them broadcasting and being an, uh, an analyst on whatever, just any pregame show or postgame show or even Tony Romo doing the commentary. Mm. But besides that, you don't see him anywhere else. So it was cool to see someone uh, someone like him. And he was actually really smart, so I could see that he was a Jeopardy nerd. Yeah, and, man, that's the same reason why I told you that Mike Vrabel helped me fall in love with sports, man. Seeing, like, like if you hadn't listened to that episode, it was a great question about why we fell in love with sports, the athletes that made it. Mike Vrabel was my neighbor down the street, man. And just seeing an athlete outside of the arena, seeing a guy just be so nice and so genuine, even though he's 6'4", 260, and a beast on the field. Seeing people mm-hmm. outside their element, man, you see them as human. And uh, it's it's a really cool way to see athletes, for sure. Yeah, that actually takes me back to a funny story. It's like the same thing with your teachers. So, if you, you know, your high school teacher <laughs> or whatever else. Well, one of my old English teachers, Mr. Grant, so he uh, – I remember him telling the story about like the time one of his students saw him at a Bruins game and like he had a beer in his hand. Cause obviously he's at a Bruins game and he's, you know, relaxing he's having a beer and uh, his student just like was in awe. Like couldn't believe it. Like first that he was seeing his teacher outside of the classroom and like second that he was a normal person and three drinking a beer. He was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> so it, it's funny. It's kind of the same thing. Like you just, you see someone out of their element outside of a classroom, outside of a field, you just, you don't expect it. I remember seeing my like sixth grade teacher at like a restaurant that my family went to or something. And I was like, I was like, you're allowed out of the school. You do things outside of the classroom. Like what? What? That's crazy. Yeah, no, it's weird to think about. What's what's this next one we got going on, Pat? Opening week for the, or, you know, I, I guess it is opening weekend. Opening day is what we normally call it for the MLB. But, Pat, our Red Sox, man, not the hottest start that we were looking for. We unfortunately got swept by the Orioles, man. All three games, very, very tough to watch. I watched a couple innings here and there. Then, luckily, I got to watch an inning in a, in a half or so yesterday when the Sox won their first game, 11-2 to over the Rays. The bats were going, man. Very good news. But, Pat, worst start in Red Sox history 
worst home start ever. 0-3, getting swept. Yeah. Not to mention by the Orioles, who have been one of the worst teams in the league the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the Orioles are facing the Yankees three or four games in a row now. So hopefully that uh that gets evened out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the Yankees didn't even have a great start either, but um at this point, I'm kind of hoping the Orioles beat them too, just because, you know, if anyone's a Yankees fans, my brothers are. But anyways, me and Chandler are Red Sox fans, so we're going to root for the Red Sox. Try to keep it unbiased, but we got to talk about them. But yeah, we got swept 3 nothing by the Orioles, which if in the past like decade is just terrible because the Orioles have probably had like three winning seasons in the last 10 years. They're just they're not a team that's good in the um, in the East or AL East. Yep. Yeah, yeah. AL, AL East. East. This is terrible. I'm like just blanking on all the conference names, no matter what sport it is. I don't know why, but I got to say the worst, probably the worst sign I saw of the entire series with the Orioles was our pickup Garrett Richards. So we went out and picked up a pitcher, which we needed. We desperately needed. We, we need the starting pitching terribly. Honestly, bullpen too. It's all just kind of in shambles. I don't think we're going to be looking to win anything this year. I, I think most Sox fans would agree. So Garrett Richards got shelled in his debut, two innings pitched, blew seven hits, six earned runs. He did get a couple of strikeouts, but yeah, six earned and then a couple of walks as well. It was, it was not good to see. And I, you know, it's, it's someone's debut with a new team. It's, it's tough to get acclimated, but I would, I would just love to have seen something better out of him. Maybe not even just like a better performance, but if he could have gone farther into the game, like if he went five innings, at least if he gave up, you know, six earned over five innings, that's a little more respectable. It's still not good, but at least at that point, like our offense has a chance to come back. But two innings pitch, six earned, that was probably the worst sign that I saw. So when you want your team to get better pitching and then we just any new pitcher we pick up just gets shelled, it's like, oh, it's so frustrating. It, it absolutely is, without a doubt. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but – Two innings, six earned runs. His pitch count was probably up near 70, you know, for two innings and simply unsustainable for a starting pitcher. Our bullpen's going to be busy this year, Pat. I think we're going to see. A yeah, lot with a bullpen, bullpen that rotation. needs work too. It's like, I don't want to rely on our bullpen whatsoever because that's well, just. We can't not rely on our well. starters. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to. We can't rely on anyone. It's, it's always been our offense that's dominating, you know, for the last few years. But I, I don't ever since we lost Mookie and it's just it's sad, man. Then yeah, you got just, Raphael Devers making errors. It's like, oh, I love the Sox, but I don't I don't know what we're going to be looking at this year. We, we just need to hope for big years from J.D., from uh, Xander, from Devers, from Verdugo. You know, we got to got to lean in and root for these guys. But Pat, if there's anything that makes a baseball fan happy right now. And I, I think I can broadly say baseball fan other than if you're in the great state of Texas and in the city of Houston is watching the Astros just continue to get bullied all around the league, man. I'm loving it. I love just the shame tour that they've been on the past two years. We have people blowing up inflatable trash cans and throwing them onto the field. For anyone that doesn't know, Astros cheated, won a World Series, banging on trash cans to call out pitches, stealing <laughs> signs, whatever. They're throwing trash cans on the field. They who who are they playing? Was it the A's or the Royals? Yeah, they swept. So they swept the A's, and now they're playing the Angels. But the A's like PA team and everything, dude. That they're announcing the Astros. And they start playing Before He Cheats by Carrie Underwood. (laughs) 
just, the trolling is unreal. Like this is what we need in baseball. It's like we need this type of content. Baseball needs this. And I saw a picture this morning, Chandler, when I woke up, of a Angels fan, literally with a broken arm. He had a cast on, and he was right at the outfield fence with a full size trash can like attached to his front, and he had whatever drumsticks or something, and he's literally banging the trash can with a broken arm. I was like, that's dedication to trolling. And it, I love to see it. It was so good. You gotta good. watch that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'll send you it when we're done recording. It was <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, it's awesome. Pat, th- Pat, I'm telling you, this is why we need a Jamie like Joe Rogan has, dude, because <laughs> Jamie, pull need, that up. We just need someone to pull it up so we yeah. can watch it, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> we need a producer so we can pull up clips, everything. It's so funny. Jamie, pull up the centipede climbing through the rat's skull. Yeah, no, yeah, of course. You want to watch it pose? <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. But, I, dude, I got to watch that because that sounds hilarious. But, yeah, I'll dude, send the Astros basically faced no no reprimands for cheating, for winning the World Series. You know, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of the MLB, said it's just a hunk of metal. It's not that deep. Bro, this is the World Series. Like, Nick Castellanos just got suspended more games than the Astros did for cheating and winning the World Series, which we'll talk about later. But, man, I love seeing the Astros get bullied. They're playing well. They got a bunch of great players, obviously, but I'm, uh, I'm kind of glad yeah. to see the trolling continue. And Rob Manfred is one of the worst commissioners in the game. So it's, it's, it's a whole thing. We'll, we'll add him to my fire Goodell list. We'll just start a, uh, all the commissioners that <laughs> fire should lose Manfred. their jobs. <laughs> all right, Pat, let's move on a little bit, man. We got some UFC news too. McGregor Poirier three, that trilogy is going to be completed. UFC 264, man, in July. I, you know, this is kind of the fight that we all thought was coming, right? Both of them mm-hmm. wanted it. Um, the UFC wanted it. It's a good money maker. They've each won one. Poirier was dominant in the last match. McGregor's ego was hurt a tiny bit, even though he was being classy after the fights. What do you think about this matchup that the UFC just announced? Yeah, what was interesting was that Poirier turned down the title fight. So he was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to fight for the title. I would rather do the trilogy with McGregor, wrap up that chapter of his career. And I don't blame him because it's the money fight. I mean, even though right. McGregor's kind of slipped and he's past his fighting prime, really. I mean, he's really not past his fighting prime. It's just because he hasn't been active. That's what he said. You know, you can't get away with being inactive in this fight game. And it's true because you look rusty. You just, you can't make adjustments as quickly. Poirier ate him alive with the leg kick last time. But if you know anything about McGregor, he can make adjustments. I think he's going to come out and he, he actually did tweet out that he, uh, so what he did for his UFC debut was that he moved to like a sister's apartment and he literally just for eight weeks straight slept there, went to the gym, trained, went back, slept, repeat just every day. And that's, he said, he's going to take the same approach this time. And I think he knows that like, if he doesn't win this fight, it's probably over. I just, I don't see how you can get the hype back and how you can come back from losing this fight. If he were to lose two in a row to Poirier, I don't know what's left for him. Who else? Like maybe the Diaz trilogy, but at that point, like if, you know, so I'll just mention this now, Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz gets announced as the co-main at UFC 262, I believe, for the uh, where the lightweight belt is going to be fought for. So if Nate Diaz loses that fight, McGregor loses this fight, like, I just don't see the allure to that fight anymore as much. You know, it's still the Diaz-McGregor trilogy. It's a big fight, but it's not anywhere as big as it could be. And I just, like I would watch it just because I love the UFC, but I for the general public, I just don't see 
where the popularity would be. So the trilogy was what we expected, but it's it's do or die for McGregor this time around, at least in my opinion. I think that's really well said. And right when you said, I don't know where he goes after this, my only thought was a cash grab fight with Diaz. But the mm-hmm. problem is, like you said, we wanted the Diaz-McGregor trilogy four years ago. We don't want it right now. Diaz yeah. is a shell of what he used to be. McGregor, same thing. If McGregor doesn't win this fight, it's cash grab fights, it's boxing boxers, it's fighting Jake Paul and Logan Paul. Like that's yeah, where he's going to go because he's not going to have a legitimate title shot in the UFC again. And he mm-hmm. doesn't right now. But yeah, I don't know what's next for McGregor. Same with Diaz. Leon Edwards is going to pick Diaz apart. I thought this I was think a so. I weird, think so too. I thought this was a weird matchup. It's a five round co main. And the fact that the fact that it's Leon Edwards, man, I'm like, there's, there's 10 guys in that division better than Nate Diaz that Leon Edwards should be fighting. You look at Kobe Covington, dude, you, you just, you can go down the list in that division and go through the the top 10, man. Like all those fights are better. I think that Leon Edwards is absolutely going to pick them apart. And then Leon Edwards is going to be ripe for a title fight, man. He absolutely is Usman. I don't know. I don't know what the division's looking like. Well, I do. I've talked about it, but I think I think that's the fight. I think it's Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. I think that's what it has to be. But I would agree with you. Yeah, if Usman beats Masvidal, uh, UFC two sixty one next month, and if Edwards beat Diaz, I, that's the only one that makes sense for me. I want to see that as opposed to a Colby Covington rematch with Usman, mm-hmm. even though that was a good fight. I I like just seeing the new blood I, as opposed to the rematches. It's like I've seen that before, and unless a fighter's made crazy differences and they've come back and fight. Like, all Colby's done is beat Tyron Woodley, who's pretty much losing to everyone at this point. So, for Colby Covington to want a title shot right away, I just I don't see that as a viable option. And I agree with you. Yeah, Leon Edwards, I think five rounds will benefit him. I think he'll pick Diaz apart. Mm-hmm. His cardio is off the charts. And I would see, yeah, Edwards versus Usman. Because I also, as much as I want Masvidal all the win, I don't see it happening against Usman. Yeah. He's not going to. He's not going to. Usman all the way there, man. And, and, Pat, you put down here, too. 261 and 262 sold out full capacity crowds in Jacksonville and in Houston, man. That's pretty crazy, but yeah, pretty much in like 10 minutes, pretty much sold out in like 10 minutes each. And that was the biggest part of their revenue. Well, not the biggest part, their contract with ESPN, they get a ton of money, but for like the live gate, the live gate that they receive for every, you know, ticket that's bought all the beer sales, everything like that. Like it's a ton of money. And that was mm-hmm. kind of hindering maybe like why they were so hesitant to pay fighters more. So maybe it'll benefit the fighters too, to have a live gate. Cause it's just so much revenue that they were missing out on. And now you get these big fights with actually a crowd. Like you're going to have a crowd for the McGregor fight at UFC 264. I'm sure uh, 261 in Jacksonville, Usman Masvidal. Then 262, the lightweight belt, which is a stacked card, too. You got Edwards and Diaz. It's like there needs to be crowds for that. And I'm, I for one, I'm happy to see it coming back. You know, we got people getting vaccinated. It's like it's time to get back to normal life. I'm, I'm happy to see it. And if you're willing, if you're willing to risk it and go, like, I think that should be up to the individual person. Yeah. No, I don't blame you there. I, you know, Pat, we don't get political on this podcast, and I don't think we no, are. No, we don't. I, I don't. No, I don't. And I don't think we are being political. I, it's just, hey, if it's open, people are going to go, right? That's the way it is. And Pat, a couple more, man. Now, this one could get a little political, but my man, Paul Pierce, the truth. You know, uh, Paul, when, yeah, you were, when you were working weird. for ESPN, you cannot go on Instagram Live, smoke a bunch of weed, hang out with a bunch of strippers. <laughs> Show them shaking their butts. That's so 
This man uh, lost his mind. It's crazy. And he ES- lost his mind momentarily. ESPN and Paul Pierce have parted ways, you know, as they put out. Yes, Paul got fired. He's already posting videos saying I'm smiling, like bigger and better things. People are saying he's already going to be at Barstool. He's going to be I saw hired that, by yeah. some Ford, other places. Like, Call me. <laughs> yeah, man. Immediately. And they've been doing it. They've been hiring a lot of guys, but people are like, how could he get fired for this? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yeah, no, if I was went on Instagram live, absolutely faded, drunk, high, and I was posting videos of myself smoking weed, hanging out with strippers, while I have a wife and kids, my employer may fire me. There is yeah. a very good chance. So people that are surprised by this, stop being surprised. Paul knew exactly what was going to happen when he woke up the next morning, afternoon, or night. I don't know when he got up. <laughs> when he woke up, but, <laughs> but you're, man, you're this- right. This was funny to watch. Like people are commenting saying, this is why Paul Pierce is the truth. This is how he got the name. Yeah. Cause as much as I like disagree with it and I thought it was funny, you know, there's a million other people that did not think it was funny and that have kids who are going to see it. And they just like one of the biggest athletes and biggest names in the entire sport of basketball and in the sports world has strippers all over his IG live. It's like, I've never seen Paul Pierce in that light. (laughs) <laughs> I, and I thought he was like married. I'm like, where, like, does he have a wife and kids? Like what is going on? I, I don't know, but Paul that's Pierce lost thing. his like, mind yes. momentarily. He um, does. Okay. That's yeah. questionable. And now Paul that Pierce's can... wife is the first Google suggestion. Yeah. Julie, P- Julie Pierce, three kids, man. Priyana. Yeah, she didn't want, she didn't bring that on herself. I hope, I hope that some sort of agreement in place. They're like, yeah, it's okay, Paul. Right, you hope that he has a hall pass and you hope they're in an re- open relationship. But, Pat, that's not our business. We just want to shout out Paul Pierce. and <laughs> Yeah, we still love Pierce. We we still love the truth. I, I, for one, I thought it was funny to see. It was it was just bizarre. Like I, That was probably the last thing I expected to see on my feed when I woke up in the morning. And that's, that's why it was so funny. My personal hope is that he gets hired by NBC Boston and he becomes a Celtics announcer, but I don't think that's going to happen um pat we got two more basketball headlines we got a lot of headlines we got a little bit of a different structure this show but we got two more headlines Paige bukers man we've talked about her a couple times on the pod point guard for uconn first ever freshman to win the ncaa women's player of the year in basketball that's all it is i just want to bring it up because Mm -hmm. people don't know in women's basketball you have to play four years you have to be over 21 years old and play four years and be four years removed from high school to be drafted into the WNBA. So this is a junior and senior league, right? NCAA women's. Those are who dominate. It's Brianna Stort. It's Tina Charles when they're seniors and juniors dominating. Paige Buker's freshman, first ever. When you're the first person to ever do something, it's significant. So I just want to say, you know, shout out Paige and take a bow, Paige, because that is historic. That's incredible. Girls 18, 19 years old, dominating 21, 22 year olds, best player in the country. Incredible. And it only uh it only makes sense that it's a UConn player, right? Like UConn <laughs> women has just been the staple of women's basketball in college for years and years now. Like obviously the crazy winning streak years back over the over a hundred games. I think that was was they had Maya Moore at that point, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they had the legendary team with Maya Moore is crazy. But think about what Paige Bukers is gonna be like when she's a senior. Like it's scary to think about. <laughs> I, I can't imagine they that they uh don't win a title in the next mm. three years. Like they have to right oh, in the yeah. next three years i with all the recruits that they're going to bring in you think about 
all the other freshmen want to go play at UConn. So you think about a, another Paige Buchers coming in there, like she's there as a junior. And then you got a couple other sophomore and freshmen who are not quite as talented maybe, but like almost there. That's a scary lineup. And I yeah. think that team dominates either of the two teams that were just played in the championship game. <laughs> Hey, hey, I mean, I mean, they did lose to Arizona, but I do, I do feel you. I do feel you, but I will say real, I will say real quick, my dad's watching, like, I don't know if it was like the all American. I don't know what it was. All the best high school players, three point shootout, this, that, the other thing. And he's watching the two final girls in the, you know, best high school players in the country. They're the two best shooters. They both go into UConn. So the two finalists in the best high school three-point shooting contest are both going to UConn and it's like all right Paige you got some shooters now you know they all want yeah they all want to go to UConn it's like how can these other teams compete (laughs) it's always you know it's always the Stanford it's always the Baylor's it's always Arizona's always decent too I mean they were an underdog for sure but all these like big named schools that's where they just like in women's college basketball, it's like the top teams just seem to have such an advantage in recruiting. It's crazy. Like they get, it's not like men's college basketball and the trend we're seeing now, like that we've alluded to, like UNC's not getting the same guys they once were even Duke's not. It's like people are spreading around to, you know, Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga is always good too, but the Baylor has an amazing class, obviously with the game they just put on all these other schools, it's becoming more spread out. And like the gap is closing, but I feel like in women's college basketball, it's like, if anything, it's just widening. Like you see these top teams just getting like the top of the top, just the cream of the crop talent. Yeah. And it's because they are less major programs in there. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. But hey, when UConn's been to 15 straight elite eights and however many final fours, I think eight in a row or something, but it, it is incredible to watch, watch what some of these teams do, especially with the recruiting. And then Pat, our last headline, just the women's championship. We just want to shout out Stanford. They ended up, I mean, phenomenal season. They were a one seed in the tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a top couple team. They're 31 and two. They had an incredible season. They beat the Arizona Wildcats by one point. Shout out that Stanford program. Um, clearly doing some things right. And, They'll, they'll be right back in it next year. So shout out Stanford for uh, definitely Stanford again. Like they're always one of those top schools mm-hmm. that back when UConn was on their crazy winning streak or even before that, like Stanford was always one of those final four, even, you know, just elite eight teams. Like they're always one of the top, you know, top six teams in the country. Like it's Stanford has such a good program there for women's basketball. It's crazy. They're almost on that UConn level. Like they're right there. And they won this year. You know, it's someone's you can't win every year. And there's always going to be these other top programs like Stanford. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you, Pat. Good time talking about all those headlines, man. Now we got to dive into some football continues to dominate some headlines, Pat. We got our good friend Connor Howe coming in to discuss that Sam Darnold trade, which we will dive into when we get Connor on the show, you know, from all the balls, great sports podcast, our resident Jets analyst, Connor Howe. But first, Pat, we got to talk about this other potential rule change that you put down here. So if you want to start explaining that a little bit, we can get in. Yeah, so we mentioned how the 17-game season change got, uh, yeah, 17-game season now got passed. And along with that was also proposed the NFL international expansion. So along with that extra game, 
the NFL plans to make four teams every year give up a home game to play internationally, which if you're if you're, you know, any football team you want to play at home, you probably want to minimize travel. So like instead of playing in Baltimore, the Ravens might have to go now in their plans to Germany, which sounds like an absolute logistical nightmare in terms of practice rest. I mean, it's crazy. Imagine like I'm sure the scheduling will figure it out, but like you go for a Sunday night game in Germany and you, cause the time zone's completely different. And then you come back and you got to play the next Sunday at one o'clock here. It's like, and you got to practice, you got to rest. It, it, it sounds like a nightmare, but I, I get it because Goodell, the NFL wants to bring, they want to bring football to other countries. I mean, they've been in London for years now and they've, I think they've had like up to four games a year in London. Now they're, they're pretty much up to that point. But now they're going to play in games in Germany and then South America as well. They said most likely Brazil, just because it's like the biggest, biggest country in South America. So it'll be cool to see. But I don't know how I would feel from like a player standpoint and a team standpoint. It's a lot more to figure out. But I get it from a business standpoint for sure, because Germany has a large English speaking population. Uh, it used to have some sort of football league, too. So there is like a, a set fan base, kind of like I'm sure there are people that watch the NFL over there. So I think it's a good market to get into, and I totally get it from a business standpoint. But again, I don't know what your thoughts are. But like, if I was a player, the last thing I want to do is give up a home game and go play in Brazil. It's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a lot to figure out. I absolutely agree with everything you're saying. And we talk about it all the time, Pat. Everything comes back to money, right? No matter what league it is, no matter what sport even outside of sports, but we like to stick to our sports. We like to stand our lane, but it all comes back to money. They're looking to make more mm-hmm. money. And it is, it is weird. You, you bring up the logistics and I think about a 25 man soccer team or a 15 man basketball team traveling, not that bad. You know, you got 25 players, you got some coaches, strength assistants, maybe get up to 50 people. Yeah, NBA, you probably get up to 35, 40 people. But then an NFL roster with 52, 53, you got 15 coaches, you got 15 this, you got 15. You're flying 100 people around the globe for one of these games, man. The logistics would absolutely be tough. And on two different teams, too. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, talking about some of these countries. Germany. I, I like the idea of it. I, I always remember Sebastian Vollmer, the big six, nine left and right tackle for the Pats was mm-hmm. German. And he used to joke. I I'm the second most famous uh, footballer in Germany because uh, Giselle Bunchen is half German. You know, she's German and Brazilian. So Tom Brady is by far the most popular football player <laughs> in Germany. And he said, even though I'm German, everyone there has a Brady Jersey, but then, then comes Sebastian Vollmer. So I think that, like you said, there used to be a football league, there, large English speaking population. I think it could be fun. I mean, where do they go? Do they go to signal Laduna park and, you know, play, you know, where Borussia Dortmund does and have 80,000 fans. Do they do it in Bayern Munich stadium? Um, I don't, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know how it would work. It's, it's weird to me to try to get 60 to 80,000 people in an arena in Germany to watch American football. Like it's just weird. mm -hmm. And another thing, like you mentioned them playing in soccer stadiums. Like if I'm Bayern Munich or Dortmund, like, do I want a bunch of football players like tearing up the pitch? Cause uh, (laughs) 
the soccer the soccer players like their cleats and you know the way they play the game doesn't tear up the grass like a football game would like these guys diving into the grass if it you know if it's wet like they could destroy that field and they take so much pride in those i that could be another thing just a little pound men destroying each other like where it's normally 150 pound guys moving light as can be like that's, yeah moving that's gracefully across the grass <laughs> yeah it could be different i don't know just from their standpoint they might want some money to be able to do that yeah and then i like i like the brazil idea i like that you know they've talked about mexico city plenty of times i think mexico city would be a lot of fun but i don't like the london games i don't like when the jaguars and colts go to play in london because i wake up on sunday and there's a game starting at 8 30 in the morning you know i don't like it i don't want to have to watch you know a game in Germany at a weird time or, you know, wherever <laughs> yeah, else. I, it's, I always get the panic of setting my fantasy lineup. Like it's happened yes. in years where they're like, I remember one year I had McCaffrey and luckily like he's always in my lineup, but I woke up at like 1030 and the game already started. And I was like, what if I had like another player I wanted to mm-hmm. sub in, you know, just another position or something. So like that game already started and I'm SOL. So I, there were other people in my league who had that happen where they couldn't sub anyone in. So it, from a fantasy standpoint, it's a nightmare too. Yeah. That, that year that the Jags were wicked nice and had the crazy defense and got to the AFC championship game. Uh, Blake Bortles was my backup quarterback and I woke up and I was like, why is Blake Bortles already playing, dude? And then I see the Jags are playing in London. I'm like, well, what is going on, man? It's weird. The logistics don't make too much sense, but it's all about money and representation and getting more fans. And the hope is when, you know, your team lands in Munich, that 60,000 people from Munich follow the Patriots on Instagram and Twitter and interact and buy jerseys and become fans. That's the mm-hmm. goal, right? That's why, a, you know, Manchester City plays a preseason game in New York City because they want Americans to watch them. And so, yeah, the NFL is trying to, ex- you know, expand their brand and get worldwide. It doesn't surprise me, but I still don't know how to feel about it. I still don't. <laughs> yeah, no, it does make sense from a business standpoint. You got to invest in yourself now. You'll get more revenue later down the road, I'm sure. Because I'm sure even, you know, if, even if it doesn't work out to like the fullest extent, they still will build. They will build some sort of fan base there. It, it'll work to some degree, I think. I uh, I was watching Get Up, which I, has turned into my favorite show on ESPN, hosted by Mike Greenberg, and just has all the best panelists on it. But they were talking about who's going to win, because uh, they were talking about some of the trades that happened in like a 2026 first round pick got trade, and they're like, who's going to win the 2026 um, NFL championship, the Super Bowl? And Dan Graziano said it was going to be like the London Jaguars or something. He's like, I think they're going to move over. I think Trevor Lawrence, you know, but who knows? There might be an NFL team in another country within the next decade, within the next six or seven years. It would not surprise me at all. It's going to be really interesting to follow and see. How one, of, one of my good buddies is a Chargers fan. And I remember he was freaking out because there were talks of them like <laughs> relocating to London. I don't think it'll happen. Like it might've just been rumors, but like he saw a headline and he was like, Oh my God, no. Cause he already didn't want, you know, the relocation to LA and that's a disaster with the Rams there too. And they have no fans. They have like eight fans at their games. And he was like, if we move to London, I'm going to be so mad. Bro. How can you put another stadium in London? We got Chelsea stadium. We got, Arsenal Stadium, we got Tottenham Stadium, like the list goes on and on. Like I don't, I don't think there's any room left. I don't <laughs> I don't get it. That would be nuts. That'd be nuts. 
All right, everybody. So as promised, we got our resident Jets expert in here, Connor Howe from the All the Balls Sports Podcast. Go check them out. Any streaming platform on Instagram, check out All the Balls Sports. Connor, thank you for joining us, man. But we got to have you on here to talk about this Darnold trade, brother. Three picks. Sam Darnold to the Panthers for a second, a fourth, and a sixth over the next two years, right? Connor, let me just get your reaction, man. Dive in. How are we feeling? Uh, I, I feel good. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, kind of happened. Um, when I saw the trade with San Francisco, when they moved up to three from Miami, I was like, oh, geez. You know, you know that means they offered that haul to New York and they said they're not going to take it. So that means they're taking a quarterback. Mm. So Arnold. Uh, you get it. You get a two in the second for next year, and I think that's tr- about as good as value as you're going to get in April for Arnold. Moments before the, I I didn't like the idea of trading him on draft night, and um, all right. So let's. So obviously this means the Jets are most likely going, but I do want to discuss Sam Darnold a little bit because, as we know, he was drafted years ago number three overall the Jets move up from six to three they give out three second round picks to the Indianapolis Colts and right busted he was I don't like this is clearly blame is on both sides blame is clearly on both sides so I want to give him like credit and I want because he was extremely I said this last time I was with you guys he was extremely professional just beyond it to a T. Um, we talk, you could talk about this past year where the team was 0 and 12, 0 and 13. They're asking Sam if Trevor Lawrence is going to be there next year. Like that's not Sam is not even be close to worried about that. I and mean, he should be reacting. I mean, he could have blew up on the media, but he just professional as hell, 23-year-old kid. But you know, I mean, this starts the clock back for the Jets. I like where this is going for the Jets, but I just I, I feel a little bit on both sides at this point. Um, I yeah, feel for good. Sam Darnold, man. I really do. And yeah, I that's think a tough environment. And it's an opportunity to restart now. You know, he's only 23 years old. He has had the worst skill position players in the league for the past. I can't even say the past couple of years, his entire career, his entire career. He has had the 32nd best set of skill position players. And now he's going to go to a coach that's innovative and has turned every program around that he's ever been to from Temple to Baylor, now to the Carolina Panthers. I'm excited for it, but Connor, I texted you about this and your first response was, I, I, I'm ready to buy my Zach Wilson jersey. Like it's in the mail, man. And I sent you a video this morning. Adam Schefter said, I texted Zach Wilson already and said, welcome to New York. You know, like <laughs> this is happening. So how do we feel about Zach Wilson, man? How do we feel? BYU. You know, I I slept on it because at first I was like, yeah, man, I know who our quarterback's going to be. It's awesome. But I slept on it. I woke up this morning. I watched some people react to it. Not to get their opinion, but I just wanted to hear what they had to say from a non-Jets fan. And so my feeling on Zach Wilson is, like, he's good. Don't get me wrong. He's I've seen the tape. I've seen – I watched him play last year, including his last game UCF in that bowl game. Phenomenal player. The, the talent disparity kind of scares me a little bit. Mm. The comparison, Justin Fields, 
Um, she was kind of off and on. I'm a big Ohio State guy. Yeah, I think they're so close. I'm not. I'm just. I'm not sold yet. I'm really not sold on Wilson. Um, I do believe he can be the guy. I have tremendous faith in Joe Douglas. I really. I think Douglas is doing a great job. I think this was a huge win for him. Getting a two for Sam was something we needed. But Zach Wilson, oh, we're just going to have to see how it plays out. Like, are the Jets going to, Jets going to protect him? Are they going to get – like, is Corey Davis going to be a true number one? Is is the defense going to hold up? Or is Zach Wilson going to need 30 points to win a football game? Like, I – and it's so weird because – Someone said someone said it perfectly the um, on a show last night. It was Zach Wilson's probably stealing in rookie year is what Herbert did last year, which is probably four and twelve, a five and eleven team. But he won rookie of the year. Great, amazing. Mm-hmm. We'd all know Zach Wilson can get there because Trevor Lawrence is in the same draft, and so if that's his ceiling, and he doesn't. Let's say he doesn't hit that ceiling. Let's say he's four and 12 Jets. We're right back in the top five. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? I understand we got two ones and two twos next year, but what are we doing here? How, how is Zach Wilson going to succeed? That's the question I have. We're, we're just going to see how the draft goes, honestly. Yeah, and my thing with the Jets is, like, you guys – I said it a couple of weeks ago. Like you guys might be playing in the toughest division in football now, too, for a few years here. Absolutely. You look at Miami. I understand they trade from three to six. Um, they're buying into Tua, obviously. But you have Brian Flores, very talented coach. You have skill pieces that are way better than the Jets are in Devontae Parker and Will Fuller and Miles Gast. Uh, tight end position, Mike Gusek. You have a defense in Miami better than the Jets. And, and a been- million draft picks. Vision. <laughs> So you still have Buffalo's ahead of us. You have New England, who just spent, who went to the piggy bank, spent all their money in the on free agents. <laughs> yep. So like, we, I don't know, I don't know what's gonna happen. Like, we're just we have to wait for Mike to flail out, or you have to hope to God that New England doesn't get a QB this year, so that they cap out and not wins. And that's the big thing because now the Patriots have by far the worst quarterback in the division, right? And they have by far the worst quarterback plan for the next 10 years. There's Josh Allen, there's 10 and six Tua, and there's a number two overall draft pick. So Pats are going to need to figure that out. But uh, it sounds like you're not quite as sold on Zach Wilson as you want to be, Connor. I, I don't. I just think it's – I and then also part of that, it's like it's so hard to hit on a QB in these drafts, and we all know. Um, as soon as, as soon as you see a guy who's top four, top five, all the teams are scrambling up for trade whatever it takes to get in. We that was us three years ago, trading to get into Sam Darnold the whole thing. You look at that draft, five guys like this draft, five, five guys in the first round. Let's look, let's three years later, let's see how it played out. Baker, who's probably borderline a hit, borderline a hit, depending on who you ask. He did go through three head coaches. Sam, miss, um, John, miss, Josh Allen. Lamar hit. So you got three out of five right there. Like, it's tough, we, man. Yeah, it really depends. Is, like, what was that? 
I was going to say, it really depends. Like you can look back through all the drafts, like all the QB lists and all the people that were taken that slipped in the draft. And then you got the guys who were like taken way ahead. Like I saw one that was like Christian Ponder. You had like Blaine Gabbert and these guys were taken in the top 10. And then you just look at where they are now. It's like, it's so hard to pick a quarterback in the draft in this day and age. It's just, it's impossible to see how anyone's going to pan out. Like you had Trubisky being taken over who was Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes. Yeah. And Pat Mahomes. It's like, it's just impossible to to tell who you're going to end up with. I think the adage that I that I've heard before that is always going to stick is for every Peyton Manning, there's going to be a Ryan Leaf. It happens every single draft. Multiple mm-hmm. guys go in the top ten and half hit. Connor went through some. You went through some. Every single time, it's like half. So it's interesting to see. But Connor, what's what's the ceiling for the Jets this year? What's what's the ceiling? Now remember, we got a 17 game regular season. So get, get the record right. Remember that there's going to be an extra loss in the loss column. <laughs> <Extra>. <laughs> we brought him on just to poke fun. I have to do this to Connor every time I talk to him. It's, it's, it's bad. That was good. <laughs> What's this? Yes. Um, I think the ceiling. Okay. So you get those Corey Davis get a thousand yards. You have to. You need a running back. I don't even know. Like, P. Ryan is not um, – they haven't signed back by Johnson, who's a waiver wire pick. Well, like, this This will we're dealing with the Jets. And your second, Jamison Crowder. I like Mims. I like that. But he, didn't, he hasn't shown anything yet. And that defense is not, not great. Carl Lawson's a great addition next to Quinn and Williams. But, I mean – I know who the Jets cornerbacks are, like secondary. Do you guys know? As just, just curious. <laughs> no, nope. definitely not. Okay, so yeah, that that should tell you. <laughs> Is Buster Screen still there? <laughs> Actually, sixth round pick from two years ago, Cadman, Austin. You're cutting out a little bit, so I couldn't hear you quite all the way, but I, I'm understanding that the Jets have absolutely nothing going on in the secondary. I do understand that, and I think that's part of because Adam Gase is one of the best hitmen in NFL history. I really think he is. He ruined yeah, a lot he of did careers. He a number on you guys. <laughs> he really – it was an inside job with uh, with Adam Gase, that's for sure. He went in and hit self-destruct. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Gase's departure from Miami, like the Jets are following very closely – for draft another the compile draft assets hire a new coach from level one and they did a really good job because they hit on the coach huge thing it's like second most important thing besides hitting on the quarterback I, I like Robert Sala we'll see how he can coach you know as a defensive minded individual I'm, I'm really excited honestly I thought he would get more free agents for us, but, you know, I think Corey Davis and Carl Lawson are fine. I just, to answer the question in the beginning, I think this team caps out like six wins, like six and 11. Like, I, in my honest opinion, they probably get four to five wins. I just, like, this division is too tough. I understand, like, even if Patriots start Cam Newton at quarterback, that defense is drastically better than anything we have to offer. Best, like our best player in the secondary is Marcus May. For the joke, but it's gone awesome. <laughs> and, 
Connor, mm. unfortunately, you're you're cutting in and out again, man. So we we didn't quite get all of it. Uh, but um, before before we let you go, I just got to ask one more question: What does Zach Wilson have to do very quickly for you to buy a jersey? Like, what does Zach Wilson have to do? Man, he don't have to do much. <laughs> he has to be the quarterback. <laughs> just show fun, man. I bought because I'm I'm a sucker for it i bought a donald jersey you know week like i was i was ready to anoint him and yeah we know how that went (laughs) all right man so it sounds like it could be coming quick connor thanks for hopping on for a couple to talk about that trade man and i know i said it when you hop on but everyone go check out all the balls great podcast i can't wait to listen to this week's episode so that i can hear the full darnold rant i'm sure it's going to be a lot longer than the time we gave you i'm excited to listen to it Hopefully they give me a good five minutes, um, but um, it's going to be on Facebook or um, Instagram or Spotify, uh, all that shit afterwards. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to be recording Thursday at 830 if you guys want to check this out live. Otherwise, you can go come out on Spotify the day after. All right. Word, word, man. We appreciate you coming on. All right, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Connor. Sorry for any technical difficulties we had there with our boy Connor Howe, but always fun to have him on uh, to talk at Jets. Uh, I hope I see him with a Zach Wilson jersey soon. Last time I was at his house in his basement, man, um, there was a Darnold jersey on the wall, and I was like, that's some commitment, bro. Like, that's some commitment. I understand trusting your rookie quarterback, but whew. (laughs) Yeah, it did not work out the uh, the way it was planned. No, it did not. But Pat, we got to move on to a little basketball. A couple more things for us to talk about there, even though we did a bunch in the headlines. First, obviously, Pat, final four, man. You know, Baylor-Houston wasn't much of a game. Baylor dominated the entire game, so we know to touch on it. UCLA, the second 11 seed to ever get to the final four. The first time a first four-in team has ever gotten to the final four. And man, did they put up a fight about against Gonzaga. This game was neck and neck the entire game it was fantastic to watch best game of the tournament by far in my opinion i don't even think it's close one of the best final four games ever but pat you know timmy foul trouble in and out of the game draws that huge charge at the end and then you know little layup miss put back in by ucla to tie it at 90 jalen suggs man like three seconds left steps over half court banks in Runs over the table, hops up on the scorer's table, ah, like saying, I've always wanted to be like D-Wade or Kobe up on the scorer's table. What a phenomenal ending to a game. What what were you thinking watching that, man, or seeing the highlights? That was incredible. It would suck. Like right when you need your best player to do something special, he goes and does it. And that's, you know, that's what a great, that's what separates the good from the great, even in college. It's like, he's, he's going to be remembered for that shot forever, regardless of what he does in the NBA. I wish him all success. I hope he does well in the NBA. We'll know that he, we know that he'll get drafted high. He'll be on his way to the NBA to some team that needs a guard, but I felt so bad for UCLA. I texted you guys. I was like, I wanted UCLA to win so bad, especially the way they were playing. I mean, they played like true champions. They were a team that really deserved to be, in the championship game, the way that they were playing. I don't know that they would have beaten Baylor had it gotten to that point anyways. And we saw that with Gonzaga. I mean, that UCLA-Gonzaga game was draining. Both teams, I think it just took everything out of them. And how can you blame them? What was it, 93-90? to 90? Such a high-scoring game, high pace. Overtime. 
yeah, overtime, it's like, that's so much just to play through and you got to play another game like a day or two later. It's just, it's so much to bear. And I, UCLA played amazing. I, all props to them. It sucks to see a team lose like that, an 11 seed, no less. And like you said, a play-in team. To see a team play in the first four go on to make it all the way to the championship game. And did they play, was it Wichita State in that play-in game? No, they played Michigan State, who I had oh, Michigan going, like State. all the way to like the uh, the Sweet yeah. Sixteen in UCLA. Yeah, so a team did what mm-hmm. I thought Michigan State was gonna do. <laughs> yeah, Michigan State was a great looking team. I thought they, I definitely didn't have UCLA even winning the play in game. So I think they exceeded pretty much everyone's expectations, except for like those some brackets you saw at the top of the leaderboard towards the end. Who it's those people who are like it's like me with UNC. I always make a UNC bracket where they win. Someone probably always makes a UCLA bracket. I'm sure it's the same thing, regardless of what seed they are. But UCLA exceeded all expectations, and I wish them all success. I hope they're back next year. They were. It was great to see them play like that. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And I got, I got two takeaways from that game. One is that Tiger Campbell, the point guard for UCLA, he's a freshman, the dude with the big old hair. Dude, mm-hmm. he was like in the 40s or 50s when it came to recruits this year in the ESPN top 100. And I've been following them for a little while. Cause I like to follow a bunch of the top guys. I like to keep an eye on them for us, you know, of course, but dude, Tiger Campbell's stock was just through the roof as this tournament went on. And especially in that final four game, he was just playing fantastic, especially when you're matching up with Jalen Suggs, Jalen Suggs is the first ever top 10 recruit in Gonzaga history. Mm-hmm. Jalen Suggs is the first freshman to put up 15, five and five in the last 11 years in the final four. Like he was balling out. So I just want to shout out Tiger Campbell, all props to him and how he played and just absolute warrior mentality. Then Pat, my second takeaway is I've actually been saying this for, a, I wouldn't say a couple months, maybe a month and a half. Jalen Suggs is better than Cade Cunningham. Jalen Suggs is the first mm-hmm. pick in the draft. Cade Cunningham is not the first pick in the draft. Jalen Suggs does absolutely everything on offense, locks in on defense, 6'4", 6'5", big physical point guard, just absolute control all the time, never looks frazzled, had a couple bad turnovers here and there. But man, any team that gets Jalen Suggs on their roster, like is just going to be blown away by this kid. I can't wait to see him in the NBA. Best player in college basketball, in my opinion. Yeah, he's got the personality and the attitude that you look for and the heart. Like, even in the championship game, like, he was the one who on the court was willing Gonzaga back into that game somewhat in the first half. Like, he was the guy that went on the floor. He was the one who was helping to get Baylor into foul trouble, a little bit of foul trouble. He was the one getting to the free throw line. Like, he was just playing with the most heart out of anyone on that team. Mm. And I think just based on that, even without all the skills he has like that rises, that makes your stock rise exponentially. Absolutely. And Pat, that championship game that we've mentioned a couple of times, it was, it wasn't a good game. Unfortunately, it It wasn't fun. Unfortunately, Baylor was up 10 to 20 points the entire game. They end up winning by Mm -hmm. 16. Shout out the Baylor bears, man. This is the first championship in the history of the men's program there. Uh, the women's program is at four, you know, Brittany Griner and some of the other greats to come through there. But this is the first for the men's team. And like we talked about it earlier, when you're the first at something at your school, your program, this to me legitimizes Baylor men's basketball as a top program. Like Definitely. you have to win a championship to be legit. Gonzaga is not a legit 
top tier program. Duke, UNC, Kansas, Kentucky, you have to win. You have to win, you know, and this, this is what gets Baylor those top recruits. Baylor, because of this run, now has a top 10 pick in the draft, Mitchell. You know what I mean? Like, this legitimizes them. This means better recruits are coming there. This means they're going to be mm-hmm. running the Pac-12. So shout out to Baylor. I'm, I'm excited for them. The team was bigger. The team was more physical. The team ran better. The team shot better. They were the best. They dominated the entire game. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing where some of these players go and where this Baylor program continues to progress because last year there wasn't a tournament and they would have been one of the top teams. So they've been waiting for this. They felt like they were ready and shout out Baylor, man, because you're a top basketball program. Now you, you've taken that next step, the Villanova step, the UNC step, you've done it, man. So shout out Baylor, shout out Baylor for winning that game, even though it Baylor the was, <laughs> uh, they were one step ahead the entire game and Gonzaga just looked drained. Like even the announcers are saying it most of the game, they looked tired from that UCLA game. You could see the fatigue. They just were not, as in it as they needed to be with dogs like Baylor, like Baylor was just, they looked so physical, just outplayed them in every asset, every facet of the game. And it again, raises that question. Like, can you trust Gonzaga in those big moments? And that's part of the reason I don't is because they're, you know, they were 30, and know, but they're playing not the best teams in the country all year. Like they had never, they had <laughs> never, yeah, they had never seen a team like Baylor all season and that was probably the most physical team they played best all around skill maybe besides UCLA as hot as they were but Baylor just the way they played it was it was unbelievable and Gonzaga had never seen that type of play before this season you could tell just in the look in their eyes they weren't ready for it after the UCLA game I think it would have been a closer game if they hadn't gone to OT in such a such a draining game with UCLA, but I still think Baylor would have won. I mean, I picked Baylor in my bracket that did well. I, I thought Baylor looked the best all tournament. They were clearly the team of destiny. And I I just, I could have seen it coming. And I don't know. I mean, if you're a Gonzaga fan, they, they played well. They played their hearts out. Jalen Suggs is awesome. But I, it just, they it wasn't all there. I, I don't think that it's going to be for a while. And the, the head coach really... I don't think Mark few made any adjustments that entire game. Like he was kind of just rolling out the same guys. I didn't see them make any adjustments to try and match Baylor. They had the, uh, they had the zone defense going, which didn't work at all. Like they were playing that most of the game and Baylor just dominated that guy Teague on Baylor at one point was just splashing. I I think Charles Barkley said Baylor shot like 60% from three in the first half. I don't know what the second half numbers were, but it didn't slow down. They kept scoring, and Baylor just looked too good against the zone, and I don't think that Gonzaga made enough adjustments. And maybe that was part of the fatigue. Maybe the coach knew that, and he knew they couldn't play. Man, they would have been even more drained. Mm. I don't know. Uh, besides yeah. that, I just there were there were a few places they could have they could have done better. And again, who am I to say I'm not a head coach? I'm armchair quarterbacking as we like to do. But you make great points, Pat, because when when you have a team like Gonzaga that has a seven man rotation. And then you have a team like Baylor that has a nine to 10 man rotation, which team's going to be more fresh, you yeah. know? And, and it is important to rotate like that. Like Gonzaga fans should be frustrated with Mark few for not getting more guys involved, you know, even earlier in the tournament, you don't need to play all these guys heavy minutes when you win games by 15, but mm-hmm. man, this looked like a JV versus varsity. This looks like, 
you know, you're on the varsity team and the JV team comes into scrimmage and you go up 10 to 12 and then just hold that all game because you don't have to try. You're just like, all right, nope, I'm going to leave you over there. My 10 to 12 point lead. But Pat, I'm going to I'm going to be on here and give a challenge to Gonzaga. I want them to do what UConn women's recently did. UConn women's recently moved from like the A10 or whatever, you know, BS conference they were in to the Big East. So they started playing bigger and better teams. I want to challenge Gonzaga to move to the Pac-12. Play against Oregon. Play against UCLA. Play against all these big teams on the West Coast. Stop playing against nobody. You know what happens when you join a bigger conference? You get more recruits. You get more TV money. You get more sponsorships. It's all mm-hmm. good stuff. You won't be 30 and 0. I can guarantee you that because you lose games to teams like UCLA. But man, join a better conference. Quit, quit being in this weak nobody conference. Who cares if you win everything every single year in a row? It's not, it's not as fun to watch. I think that Gonzaga needs to challenge themselves. I think they need to challenge their program and reset because they can get to the final four and elite eight every year if they want. If you never win, who cares? Who cares? Think anyone remembers Kelly Olynyk's Gonzaga teams? No. Kyle Wiltshire's? <laughs> nope. No. It's not what happens, man. You need to win, move to a bigger, better conference. That's my challenge for Gonzaga, for you know all the Gonzaga execs and board members that listen to this podcast. I'm challenging all <laughs> well, of you. You know individually. I'm going I'm going to call them out and name my name. <laughs> you know I'm in agreement. They got to get that strength of schedule up. They got to play better teams throughout the year. And regardless, if you lose six games, I think you earn the respect of the entire nation because you're playing harder teams all year. And I don't think your ranking changes much. You're still going to be top three, even if you Mm -hmm. lose six games because you're playing some of the best teams in the country. And you're going to get some big wins that you've never gotten before. Fun fact about Baylor, this was their first ever win against the number one ranked team in the country. Gonzaga was still the AP number one. Baylor was 0-8 against number ones. First ever win. Wow. Shout out Baylor, man. Now, Pat, we got to get on to a basketball program that I don't want to talk about, but you know, I guess I guess we have to because it's sort of significant, you know, even though I got my Duke hat on over here. UNC, Pat, your boy Roy Williams hanging up the shoes, man. Always rocking those fresh Jordans. He's hanging up <laughs> the Jays, man. Yeah. And uh I guess I but guess we should but even you gotta even you gotta give respect to Roy Williams and you oh, gotta give yeah. credit where credit's due. 18 years as head coach as UNC. And let me just lift list off these accolades I got here. Five final fours, and then in four of those trips to the final fours, he has three NCAA titles and a runner-up, that heartbreaker to Villanova, which easily could have been a fourth title. Chris Jenkins buzzer beater, dude. Oh, yeah, right after Marcus Page hit that beautiful shot too. Was, oh, that was, Double clutch lefty. <laughs> yeah, that one stings in my heart. But also three ACC tournament championships and then nine-time ACC conference champions. And that's with a powerhouse like Duke as your opposition too. I mean, the ACC was one of the – for like throughout the, uh, the 2000s and the 2010s, the ACC has consistently been one of the best conferences in college basketball. And for them to win nine times in his 18-year tenure, unbelievable. Five Final Fours as well. Three titles alone is, like, just legendary. But we're going to miss Roy. He's got health problems. I think, like, just after the attitude that it's been for the last couple years, team hasn't been doing as well. They haven't had as many good recruits. Roy's had health problems. I think he had like vertigo collapsed on the sideline a couple times. He's an old man, man. man. 
Roy, it's it's time. Nobody blames you. Go enjoy. I mean, enjoy your days by the pool. You've been paid. <laughs> you are a legend of the sport. He he's one of the best college coaches of all time. I'm so happy he went to UNC. I mean, he can't say enough about the guy. And you know what? For his replacement, Hubert Davis, I'm happy they kept it in the family. He's a longtime assistant coach of Roy. I think nine years now he's been assistant coaching with Roy Williams. He used to play there under Dean Smith. I think he still holds the record for uh, three-point percentage for like highest three-point percentage shooting. So a guy who long time played at UNC, coaches at UNC already. I, I love the move. Obviously, we'll see how it uh, works out. We'll see if they still attract the big names. I mean, clearly they haven't been in recent years with Roy, but the big names that we once had, Ty Lawson, Tyler Hansbro, the Tyler Zellers, the John Hensons, the Marcus Pages. I mean, there's so many to list off. So I'm excited for UNC's future. I know it's been kind of tumultuous for the last couple of years, but I don't know, Chandler. I, Duke might have the upper hand. They didn't play well <laughs> this year. I think Duke might have the upper hand for a few years here, but you know, UNC will be back. And uh, it's all credit to Roy for bringing that program where it is. You know what's unfortunate, Pat, is for you and I is that like Virginia has the upper hand right now, and like Virginia this Tech, is true. and like like Duke and UNC are kind of falling by the wayside. Obviously, they'll be back, and they're going to get recruits, and these will continue to be the two best teams in the ACC. But yeah, man, shout out Roy Williams. Obviously, I'm a Duke fan, but a lot of love and respect for Roy, as you know, Coach K has, and the entire Duke program. And obviously, as an ambassador of Duke, I can speak for all of them personally. Um, but man, like you said, 18 years, national championships under Dean Smith, man, UNC's had the same two coaches for like 40 something years. Yeah. That's incredible. Dean Smith and his four corners offense all the way up to Roy Williams. And, you know, Roy's a hall of famer, all timer, shout out Roy Williams, super forward, 18 years, Hubert Davis. I love this pick Pat. You know, some of the other people they were talking to, Jerry Stackhouse, who's coach at Vanderbilt, a lot of other UNC guys they kept in the fam. They talked about, you know, they reached out to Brad Stevens. They reached out to Mark Few of Gonzaga. They reached out to Jay Wright of Villanova. And I love that they kept it in the family. And this was also Roy Williams' pick to replace him, reportedly. He said Hubert Davis. Now, I just got Hubie's Wikipedia up right here. My man... 50 years old. First of all, 6'5". I like seeing that. I like seeing a former tall <laughs> player, man, being a coach. I don't like seeing these little dudes in this huddle with all these big guys looking like he shouldn't belong. Hubie belongs here. Now, North Carolina for four years. 20th pick overall in the 92 draft. He played 12 years in the NBA, averaging like 8-2-2. Two, and two. So good, solid rotation guy for 12 years. Played for a bunch of different teams. And then went back assistant coach for nine years. This is a great career. This is a guy that has been around. This is a guy that can get his players to championships. This is a guy that can get his players to the pros. What do people want to go to Duke and UNC for? They want to go for that one, two-year stint, win a lot of games, win the ACC tourney, win a championship, and get a high draft pick. No one, like, you know, there's like five programs that put players into the pros like the, like UNC does. Like, it's very limited. So the recruiting power is there, man. The mystique, the aura, the Michael Jordan, it's all there. 
I'm excited for Hubie Davis, man. And I hope, I hope that he's successful because nothing's better than seeing a one point Duke UNC game. And that's all I ever, all I ever want. You know, I want good competitive games and I want a Duke UNC matchup in the tourney, Pat. It's never happened. Never once. So hopefully Someday. Hubie and uh, coach K can get there. Now this Someday just scares we'll me there. thinking, yeah, this just scares me thinking coach K is on the way, man. He's in his seventies. He's like 74 or something. Coach yeah, he K. might be looking to get out soon after this season, too. If there's any more like that, he might be with Roy. <laughs> yeah, I'm man, he saying. was petty this year, I'll tell you. He, yeah, Coach he K had a bit of an attitude problem this year. So, But, but hey, man, shout-out Hubert Davis. Shout-out Roy Williams, Hall of Famer. It's nice when active guys are already in the Hall of Fame. Like Roy Williams, there's a, there isn't a discussion. He's already a Hall of Famer, which is great, you know. <laughs> so Absolutely. Shout out Roy Williams, man, and shout out that UNC program getting uh, getting back on track, hopefully. All right, Pat, not as many listener questions this week, but we still got time to answer a couple. Got to get them in. So, Pat, first one from my boy Brett. Is Rob Williams going to carry the Celtics to the promised land? Now, I don't think this means this season. I think this is just kind of is, – is he a, like, key contributor upcoming and man? He has the potential to be the third best player on this team with how he's been playing. He's had some games like 20 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, bunch of blocks, man. This kid, if he can figure it out, he's only like 23, 24. If he can figure it out, Rob Williams is the Celtics starting center. And he is a championship caliber starting center if the trajectory continues to go where it's going. Well, we can't seem to trade for a big. And Danny <laughs> Ainge doesn't seem to want to sign any big, uh, any big name big. So... I, I think he might have to be uh, just for the sake of, yeah, he might have to be the big of the future, but I think with the right development under Brad Stevens, I think he can get there. I don't think he'll ever be, you know, a superstar, but I think in terms of what the Celtics need for the way the team is structured, I, I would, yeah, I would say that I think he has the potential to be, I'm not totally sold at the moment, but I would say we'll see over the next year or two where his development heads. I don't know why he couldn't be Bam Adebayo of last year. Like Bam's going to keep getting better and Bam's going to be an all-star. And he was, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot of Bam in his game, man. He's a great playmaker too. I'm excited to see it. Now, Pat, this, this is from Jimmy McQuaid, man. Got a great question from him last week too. Jimmy wants to know, should college football move to an eight team playoff bracket? I think 1000% yes. I think it's ridiculous to only say that four teams have a chance to compete for the championship, that you have to go undefeated, that you have to play in a major conference. Like I think it absolutely should be eight. And I wouldn't be mad if it was 16. I agree. I actually really like that proposition because the four, I never got the four team thing anyways. I never really understood it. And yeah, I don't think four is enough. And if you're the NCAA, I mean, they seem so money hungry as it is. Like, why wouldn't you go for an eight team tournament? I think it'd be cool to see just even if it's going to be Alabama in the freaking championship game every time, you never know what the other team might be. And I'm, I'm just kidding. Alabama might get beat, but in an eight game format, I think that would be exciting. I would love that. I, that's actually a great idea. Yeah. And I don't think it is cause for like crazy upsets or anything. Like when you look at March Madness, you have the first and the 64th best team playing, you know, it's going to happen. If you have the first and eighth, that's upset city potential, man. Like you'd be a lot more upsets. I think it'd be fun to see. And Pat, last listener question, only doing a couple today. It's from our girl, Meg Ahern, back at Westfield, the voice, man. Shout out, Meg. Hope everything's going well. She wants to know, Pat, chicken tenders or chicken nuggets? 
<laughs> um, I guess it depends where you get them. I think tenders though, because even tenders, like they can almost be considered boneless wings too. Like, you know, wings over our favorite mm. spot as, as Westfield state students. Like that's, that's the place to get food from. I would say tenders. I think like the only nuggets I really eat are like the Purdue nuggets that I get like frozen and I cook them up in an air fryer and like, those are okay. But I would say tenders all the way. That's, I think that's an easy one for me. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to insult anyone here, but I think that, I think that at a certain age you graduate from, from nuggets. chicken nuggets to chicken tenders, right? Like <laughs> Maybe Meg hasn't, I don't know. Maybe Meg right, hasn't we, but I'm, I'm a tender guy. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like chicken nuggets are great for kids, man. But at a certain point you need more, you, you need bigger, thicker yeah. pieces, dude. And no doubt. Like, yeah, man. If I'm going frozen, I'm going chicken tenders. If I'm going out and getting a basket, I want chicken tenders and fries. Like if I'm going, like you said, boneless wings, those are basically tenders too. I'm, I'm going tenders, man. I'm going yeah, and tenders if, if we're talking breading too, just to get really into it, like mm. nuggets usually have that thin breading, whether it's even like a McDonald's McNugget or like a Purdue one. But if you get a tender, like it's usually crispy and like thicker breading, which I like more. So that's just another reason I would go tender. Dude, I'm totally with you. I'm t- these are the important questions, Pat. You know, these, these are the these questions really are. we need to be asking. <laughs> and that's that's when people are going to have to let us know what they think. But Pat, we got to wrap up the show soon. So we're going to move on to what we've learned. But as always, we've got to get a quick word from book thinkers. So you guys know, but if you read personal development books, you guys got to check out book thinkers. This is a company that's helping you every single day to, you know, they're dedicated to helping you achieve more, live better. And it's all through books. They're going to help you connect with new books, new mentors. The list goes on. You're going to achieve more. You're going to live, you're going to live better. So please type in book thinkers on Instagram, go check them out. They're up over 118,000 followers now, you know, search bookthinkers.com. check out their podcast that drops every week. Check out the IG for content all day, every day, especially if you're into personal development and nonfiction books. But now Pat, back to what we've learned and I'm excited for yours, Pat. So why don't you tell me what you learned this week? So if you didn't catch any MLB this week, if any of you didn't watch any, you didn't hear about it on ESPN, the Reds and the Cardinals had a benches clearing brawl. They called it a brawl. I was like, where's the brawl? Like there was almost no fighting. There was like a shove. Um, but anyways, so a couple of days prior uh, Nick Castellanos on the Reds hit a home run and he showboated as it's it's like a, almost a custom now and it's exciting to see and people on the Cardinals didn't like that and then you fast forward to a couple days later uh, first pitch of Nick Castellanos at bat Cardinals pitcher drills him with a fastball it was coming like upper too which is when the players get kind of dicey about it so he, he did a good job protecting himself I think it hit him like right in the arm and he has like an elbow guard anyways but so they clearly, maybe not clearly, it looked like they were trying to pitch at him. They're really good at hiding it, but I think those players know. So that happened. And then you fast forward to later in the game, uh, Nick Castellanos was on third. Wild throw into the outfield. Castellanos scores. He slides into home. There's a little little pushing at the, at the plate. Nick Castellanos gets up. He, you know, he's pumped up. He just scored on a wild throw. I would be pumped up. I just scored on a slide into home screams in the pitcher's face pumps his arms yeah he flexed yeah and pitcher did not like that Yadier Molina definitely did not like that and Yadier is a he's a legend of the game he's not a guy you want to mess with he looks pretty serious but 
the reaction to this has been unbelievable. Nick Cassiano's got a two-game suspension for flexing, for instigating the benches clearing. It's like, I'm so not okay with this. Like, if you're baseball and if you're Rob Manfred, like, don't you want people to watch? And in that case, don't you want the excitement? Like, baseball needs more excitement. And I mentioned this earlier in the episode. They need more excitement. They need more guys like Nick Castellanos. So that's what I've learned is that you can't punish these guys like that because it's going to make players not want to show any emotion. Like, do you want robots just playing baseball or do you want, like, people with personality you want these young guys coming up like if you want a younger crowd to get into baseball which is their whole thing trying to speed up the game get more uh a younger generation into the game rather than the old heads who are still watching religiously you can't react and punish the guy like that it's it's just unbelievable like it'd be understandable if he's throwing punches but he didn't even instigate it he literally did that walked away and then got pushed from behind so he wasn't even the one that instigated like the fighting like he didn't start that he didn't initiate any contact and for him to get the two-game suspension it honestly blew my mind and like it's not the direction that the MLB needs to head in like if that happens again I would just love to see no punishment whatsoever unless people are throwing punches which like in that case yeah okay someone's got to get suspended you know you can't have that but in terms of emotion like what do you you know what kind of behavior does that promote it's it's unbelievable the way they reacted rob manfred should get suspended for two days yeah two give him a two games without suspension. pay yeah like... and they had some new guy in there some new guy to the role who's like doling out the punishments almost like a vice principal uh, it's i don't know if he was trying to prove a point by being new i i don't know but i i couldn't agree with it and i can't imagine many baseball fans under 30 agree with it either I was thinking that too, Pat. I'm like sitting here as two young baseball fans, man. Like you're just not going to let the players be excited. You're not going to let the players be happy when they score. Yeah. Like a diving play at the plate where you're diving head first, trying to get home and you can't be excited when you get up. It's pathetic. I couldn't agree with you more. I think you did a really great <laughs> After job. After you just got really. thrown at earlier in the game too. It's like, and then people get mad at the showboating on home runs. It's like, come on. It's like, let people, people want to see the bat flips. People want to see the slow yeah. trot to first. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable to me. And we're not going to suspend the pitcher that intentionally throws 95 at a guy's shoulder and head, right? No, because no. it's like inconclusive, right? No, that's, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Shout out Nick Castellanos. We, mo- we need more of you. We need more of Bryce Harper. We need more of Fernando <laughs> yep. Tatis, man. We need more of those guys bringing energy to baseball. I'm all for it. Pat, what I learned this week, man. So this is mostly, I haven't even finished it because it's three and a half hours but I am just absolutely blown away by this Joe Rogan and Francis Ngannou podcast. I knew a bit about Francis Ngannou and all of the unbelievable things he has gone through in his life, but listening to him detail his 14 month journey from Cameroon to France, you know, being out in the middle of oceans on rafts getting pulled out of the water by the Moroccan coast guard and army and just the absolute trials and tribulations and beatings that this man took to try to get to a better life. I just, what I learned is just the utmost respect for Nganu. And I already had a hundred percent respect for him. I love the guy, but man, it is through the roof learning what he went through as a 24, 25 year old, you know, only having been boxing for so long. And man, what does he do before he even gets famous? He's building gyms and sending gym equipment back to Cameroon so the kids can lift. And he's just such a great guy. He goes back to the sand mine that he used to, you know, work out as a 10 year old mm-hmm. boy shoveling sand all day in the trucks this dude is just one of the best people on the planet. 
you know, we talk about him, the baddest the dude on the planet, the scariest dude on the planet. One of the nicest, He's one really, of the most yeah. gentle, one of the most, you just, English is like his fourth language and just listening to him speak and articulate, man, unbelievable. I would recommend anyone to go listen to the Joe Rogan podcast with him. Just ultimate, ultimate respect for Francis Ngannou and everything he's done and heavyweight champion of the world, man. It's pretty incredible. Just shout out Francis Ngannou, man. That dude is, that dude is next level in every aspect of his life. Every single It really moment. is. It really is funny. Like if you only watch his fights, you're like, wow, this guy is mean. And then no, you go and listen to anything he does, like any podcast he's on rogan he's been on brendan Schaub's like food truck diaries it's unbelievable like he's such a nice guy he's so humble too like he does not have an ego whatsoever and it's it's crazy where he's come from so yeah i, I would definitely encourage everyone to go listen to something of his that he's yeah. been on and just listen to his story yeah man and listening to him just talk about having to pr- pretend to be from mali when he's in mali and having to pretend to be from nigeria or niger and then just a bunch of these different places and this dramatic trip he had to take man and then he's sleeping on the street in france just trying to get fights and fulfill his boxing dreams sending money home when he can it's it's unbelievable and you know i said it but they're gonna make a movie about this man one day without a doubt and he was on andrew schultz's podcast recently as well on flagrant two and they said who do you want to play you in a movie and he said me he said, I wouldn't even have to act. I've been there, you know? Let, let me play, dude. Let me watch Francis Ngannou play himself in a movie. Like, I would uh, pay. Yeah. The I would new pay Rocky, right? <laughs> yeah. I would Rocky. pay pay-per-view for that, man. And Pat, that wraps up episode 15, man. Another good one in the books. It's it's always fun doing this. We're laughing, smiling, joking around the whole time. It's nice that, you know, even though we hate each other's teams, sometimes we can hate, you know, <laughs> commissioners together it's always a good feeling and uh stupid rulings and sports like baseball but as always we got to ask you guys please like please subscribe please share please rate please review leave a comment whatever you can do help boost our algorithm help get the word of right off the bus out there pat and i have been slacking on uh, getting some guests on the pod the past couple of weeks but we're happy to have connor on we're gonna we're gonna try to get more uh interesting athletes journalists some good interviews for you guys so please stay tuned keep listening hope you guys enjoyed the pod this week and uh yeah yeah i enjoyed doing it. it's always fun i'm feeling good pat i'm feeling good yeah me as well and uh, as always thank you and uh peace we're out of here You are listening to Right Off the Bus.